essentially discovering more and more of the names of Jesus. And today we're going to be taking a look at two more names. I pray that that will give you a greater context of the God that we worship. That being said, I think that all of you know later this afternoon there are going to be several teams that are going to be playing for the title of Super Bowl champion. And so in that, my guess is, is that there are fans out that are uh, rooting for the Detroit Lions. Is anybody rooting for the Lions? Do we have any Lions fans? We have one person rooting for the Lions, okay. How about uh, the San Francisco 49ers? Anybody rooting for the 49ers? We got some people rooting for the 49ers, good. What about the Baltimore Ravens? Nobody's rooting for the Ravens? And then, what's the other team again? I can't remember the other one. <laughs> What, who is it? Kansas City Chiefs, right? Yeah, how many people are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? We got some people rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's what's interesting. Uh, later today, as we probably go to bed, we're going to know which two teams are heading to the Super Bowl. A couple of weeks from now, we're obviously going to have a Super Bowl party, and one of those teams will be crowned the Super Bowl champion. And it's a big deal. People get excited about it. Everybody's excited to see that their team is the champion of the NFL. Let me ask you just a quick question. How many of you could go back and tell me who won the Super Bowl last year? How about the year before? The year before that? How about the year before that? What about the year before that? And the year before that? Now I can tell you, if I have this calculated correctly, eight years ago the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? But nobody knows. Now, what's my point in all of this? As big as a Super Bowl is, what I want to let you know is that over a period of time, the team that has been crowned champion will be forgotten about. Now, let me ask you another question. Who can tell me how many kings and kingdoms there have been since the world existed? I mean, they're kings and they're kingdoms, right? We should know. Because after all, a king of a kingdom is a big deal. Yet the reality is, what we begin to discover is all kings and kingdoms will fade away, except for one. And one of the things we're going to be talking about in the names of Jesus today is the fact that Christ is the king of kings. And he will be the king of a kingdom that will have no end. That's one of the things that we must remember and we must recognize. This morning we're going to be looking at a title that is given to Christ in Revelation as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And then the next thing that we're going to look at is this. How many of you want peace in the world? How many of you are excited for peace in the world? How many of you realize that peace in the world isn't going to happen until Christ establishes his kingdom? Because Christ is the prince of peace. And so that's another name that we're looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at two names that are given to Jesus, the king of kings and the prince of peace. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is, is to remember, we've been talking about the names that are ascribed to Christ, and we must remember that these names are true to his character. They encapsulate who he is. This isn't a nickname. This isn't just a throw-off. This isn't some name that has no substance about who Christ is. These names are given because they are a quality of his character, but they are also names that are given that will be proven or have been proven to be true. And so one of the things that I want you to remember is when we talk about the names of our Savior, we're not talking about a myth or a fable. Last week we talked about Christ being a child. We talked about the importance of him coming as a child in meekness and humility. 
But then we also spent time discovering that Christ has been given the name, the bread of life. And we discovered how important that is, particularly when we move forward to celebrate communion with one another. Today, we're going to ask this simple question, and it is, what does it mean to call Jesus the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace? And so the first name that we're going to look at is the King of Kings. And actually in Greek, it is Basilius Basileon. Basilius Basileon. Now, some of you might say, what is that all about? It doesn't mean really anything. But one of the things that I think is interesting for you is simply this. The title King of Kings, or Basilius Basileon, or Basileon, in Greek is where the name Basilicas comes from. So, many churches today incorporate this name in their title. For example, St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. The name Basilica means the Hall of the King. This is where the true king resides. Now, obviously not St. Peter's Basilica, but a lot of churches will use that in a title of saying this is the Hall of the King. And so the first thing that I want to share with you, we're going to turn to the sort of latter portion of Revelation, and I want to read this to you. We're in Revelation 19. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and I'm going to get us to the title that is ascribed to Christ in verse 16. John, exiled on the island of Patmos, is essentially describing the vision that God has given him about the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. And in speaking of that, he's speaking about a rider on the great white horse who is our king, Jesus. And this is what he says. I saw heaven standing upon, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written. And if you have your Bibles with you, you'll notice that this is in all caps. It is a title ascribed to our king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning we gather together to worship Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to recognize is that there is only one who can have this title described to him, and that is Jesus. But you remember back last week we talked about how Christ comes in this appropriation, yet he comes as a humble babe. And so the first thing that I want to share with you is this, that while Christ comes in meekness as a child, he will one day return as the King of Kings. And that is so important for us to remember and recognize. The first thing that I'd like to share with you is this, that kings and kingdoms will all fall away. We even sing that in a song. And what we must remember and recognize is as powerful as the earthly kingdoms are, 
None of them compare to the eternal kingdom of our king. Take a moment, and obviously we in the United States of America are not under a kingdom rule, but to be honest with you, we once were. We separated ourselves from the kingdom of England. Interestingly enough, even today, we continue to move forward and we look at the kingdom of England. Some of you might be fans of watching the crown. Some of you might be fans of seeing how this royal family unfolds. But what I'm going to tell you is, as great and as long as that kingdom is, someday the kingdom of England will come to an end. Now, the other thing that I want to share with you is this. How many of you would be excited, well, if you saw the President of the United States? Anybody be excited if they saw the President of the United States? Some of you probably wouldn't be excited if you saw the President of the United States, but... I don't know about you, I'd be pretty excited if I had an opportunity to see the President of the United States. Someone who's in power and authority. But what I'm going to tell you is, is whoever the President of the United States is, they pale in comparison to the King of Kings. The one who has established the universe. The one who has created all things. And one of the things that I want to share with you is this. How Christ presents himself, yet how Christ will return as the King of Kings when he comes to establish his kingdom. It's interesting to see how the earthly ministry of Jesus unfolds. Remember that Christ first presents himself as a helpless newborn babe in a manger who is dependent upon creation. Don't forget that. Christ does that to demonstrate his meekness and his humility, but also he does that to demonstrate the ability that we have to come to him in our meekness and in our humility. However, the world has never seen a king like Jesus Christ. And the world will never see a king like Jesus Christ. Though he entered the world in humility and meekness, born as an infant in Bethlehem, he has promised to come again, at which time he will reveal himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, let's pause for a moment here. It is one thing to be a king of a kingdom, president of a nation, a Super Bowl champion, whatever title might be. But we all know that over a period of time, that title will fade. That the kingdom will fall, another kingdom will rise, and like I said before, none of us will remember how many kings and kingdoms there have been. Just look at the scriptures. It's one thing if we were to say, okay, we're going to have an exam today, and what we're going to ask is this. How many kings and kingdoms in the scriptures can you name? And that's just the Bible. We're talking about kingdoms and nations that have existed, have come and fallen. Think about this. Think about the nation of Rome. The kingdom of Rome that expanded the known globe of its time. It was a kingdom that lasted some thousand years. During that time, people would have thought that that kingdom would never come to an end. And what we've seen, though, is today, yes, the nation of Italy exists, but the kingdom of Rome is no longer. One of the things that we need to remember, as big and as mighty and as powerful as nations might be, there is only one 
only one whose kingdom will never end, and that is of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The other thing that I want you to do is this. Imagine if today there was an assembly of all of the kings of the world, all of the powerful people of the world, anyone who was ruler of a nation, president of a nation, whatever it might be, and you got them into a room. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Imagine the security that's there. Imagine the power that exists in that room. And then imagine this. One walks in, and all of those rulers take a knee and bow to that person. But not only that, all of the rulers across the centuries, both past, present, and future, take a knee and bow to that one and say, all hail the king of kings. That's a big title. And that is the title that's given to Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who you go to in prayer. That's who is the one who will and has redeemed you back to himself. That's the one whom provides for you on a daily basis. That's the one whom has gone to the cross to die upon it to give us eternal life. The king of kings. And here's the other thing. While he is the king of kings, and that is a unique title, unlike any other kingdom, his kingdom will never end. Friends, that's who we worship today. That's the title that is ascribed to Christ when he comes again. And what I want to remind you is when we look and we wonder about where the world is going, when we wonder about the darkness that we see, particularly in today's world, and we wonder where is God, what is he doing, has he forgotten about us? May we never forget that Christ has promised to come again, and Christ will not come this time in meekness and humility. He will come riding on a great white horse, ascribed with the title, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what a great day that will be. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting and I love about this is that as the King of Kings, Christ does not demand our worship. He lovingly invites us to worship. And I want you to see that, and I want you to know that. Um, as we look around, uh, in particular, there are several kings or rulers of nations, both today as well as across the centuries, that individuals will ascribe to their leadership, but they do so under compulsion or fear. They don't do so out of reverence or awe or desire or love. We can take several examples of that, and we've seen, particularly in North Korea, I would say that there are individuals who probably do love the current ruler of North Korea, but I would also say that we're well aware that there are several individuals who will ascribe to his leadership, but they are no fan of his, and they are doing so under compulsion. Why? because that ruler comes forward and oppresses the people into worship and demands them to worship. And if not, they suffer great consequences. What is unique about Christ, being the king of kings, is he does not force us to worship him. Rather, what he does is he graciously invites us to worship him. And we have the ability and the freedom to do so. 
It's interesting. Uh, in the epistle to Diognetus, okay, Diognetus was an uh, epistle written. The author is unknown. Um, the 13th century codex ascribes uh, the, the writing here to Justin Martyr, but what we know from scholarship is the um, writing itself, the epistle of Diognetus, is one of the earliest examples of Christian apologetics written in, uh, in and around uh, AD uh, uh, 130. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus was determined to save us by persuasion and not by compulsion, for there is no compulsion found with God. His mission was no pursuit or hounding of us. It's an invitation. And friends, what I want to share with you today is this. God does pursue us because he loves us, but he is not forcing us or demanding us or pushing us down via oppression in order to worship him. It is a free invitation that God gives. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to see is as the king of kings, Christ comes forward and invites us into worship, but he does not demand or oppress us in order to do so. There's freedom in our worship of Christ. There is blessing in our worship of Christ. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to say is this. I hear so many times, how can a loving God send people to hell? And what I'm going to tell you is this. Our loving God doesn't send people to hell. We choose to send ourselves there because we do not accept the loving invitation of the King of Kings. That's why this is so important. That's why this word, these writings, that's why what was written in this little epistle is so important for us to see. Because the invitation of the king is there. It is free. It is offered to all who will believe. It is offered to anyone, no matter who we are. It is open for anyone to come. All tongues, all nations can come to Jesus. It isn't reserved for a special person, an upper echelon, or a specific ethnicity, or a specific religious group. It is offered to all who will come to that invitation. And so friends, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about our king is the fact that he does not demand our worship. Rather, because he is the king of kings, he evokes and commands our worship. And there's a big difference in that. One of the other things that I want you to see is this. We see and we know that in all of this, as the king of kings, the ruler of the nations, Christ not only invites us to worship, but as we've seen in scripture, there is going to come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's interesting because right now when you will talk to individuals, there are people out there that want nothing to do with Jesus. There are people that don't want to hear anything about the Christian faith. There are people who will mock you for the Christian faith. And yes, there are even individuals who will martyr you for your Christian faith. But there is a day coming when all tribe, all tongue, all nations, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
I want to just share this with you. Uh, while Christ lovingly invites us to worship him, not under compulsion, but rather under the freedom of choice, there is going to come a day, and we see this in Isaiah 45, 23, Romans 14, 11, and Philippians 2, 10 and 11, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Talk about a day. Just, just take a minute right now. Think through this for a minute. No matter what team that you're rooting for for the Super Bowl, right? I remember, uh, for me, I was so excited. I'm a, I'm a big Lionel Messi fan, okay? A big soccer player for, uh, essentially, Spain for a while and a team uh, in uh, Barcelona, but hails from Argentina. He's played for the Argentine national team. And uh, for years, uh, we were hoping, anyone that's a fan of Lionel Messi, that they would end up winning the World Cup. And they did. And I don't know if you saw in the news, but when the team returned to Argentina and they got to the airport, the airport is about 20 miles outside of downtown Buenos Aires, which is the capital of Argentina. And from the airport, to downtown, it usually takes maybe 30 minutes. But the fans, the nation had come together and they were so excited about this national championship, a world championship for lack of a better word, that it took several hours for the buses just to get into the town or into the city of Buenos Aires. If you saw in the news, people were basically all over the streets. You couldn't get a place to stand, and they were celebrating this national championship. Now, what's the point in this? As big as that is, as memorable as that might be for people in Argentina, imagine that happening all over the world, all over the centuries, with every person that has ever lived and has ever existed, all worshiping one person, bowing down and saying, there hails the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I don't think we can possibly fathom that. Friends, that's who we worship. It's not just a stadium full. It's the entire creation that has ever existed hailing one king who is king of all. Now take a minute, and, and as we think through that, only one can have that name ascribed to him. And so the thing that I want you to look at and the thing that I want you to take home today is this, that when you pray to Jesus, when you have a need, when you have a concern, when you have a fear, when you have a praise, when you have something that you're excited about, when you're grateful for something, you have an opportunity to go to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But here's what I love. Would any of you be intimidated and a little bit worried if you were to have a opportunity to go have dinner with a king or a queen or a ruler of a nation? I would. I'd be a little nervous. I would probably want to make sure that I was dressed appropriately, that I was in the right protocol, that I was doing the right things. And honestly, I would go forward in meekness, in fear, 
wondering, what's this king or queen or ruler going to say or going to do? And what if I do something wrong? But what we know about Jesus is this. What do we know about the king of kings? We know that when Christ dies on the cross, the veil is torn, and we hear in the book of Hebrews that we can approach the throne, what? With confidence. Okay? Not arrogance. Please hear me. There is a big difference between confidence and arrogance. But we can approach the king of kings with confidence. Why? Because of what he's done for us. When we've placed our faith and trust in him, we have citizenship with him. We are a son or a daughter adopted into the kingdom of God. Let me put it this way. Right now, if I were to go and approach a king, they probably wouldn't know who I am. And probably someone would sit there and say, oh king, this is Trevor from Panora, Iowa, and he's a pastor of a church. And I would approach and I would do the protocol and I would wonder the difference, the difference with our king for those of us that are in Christ is we approach his throne and guess what? He doesn't need anybody to tell us who we are. He turns to us and he says, oh Trevor, it's so good to see you. My son, come. Eat, be blessed at my table. And that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords of whom we worship. One of the things that I'd like to remember and have you uh, recognize in this is there is no one, there will never be anyone who can have that title ascribed to them. It is unique to Christ alone. But interestingly enough, as the King of kings, the maker of heaven and earth, there's another name that is ascribed to Christ and that is the Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, the word is sar shalom. Some of you might have heard individuals, particularly uh, Jewish individuals, will greet one another with shalom, meaning peace. It might be a word that you've heard at times. It's a beautiful word. And the word in and of itself essentially means peace. We look at this and we see uniquely that the title that is given to Christ is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We've utilized this before. We've actually utilized this same passage to talk about child. We recognize that it is a passage that is ascribed, particularly during a time when Israel is under, essentially, ruin and challenge and brokenness. But Isaiah comes forward, and what he says is that there is a day coming where I will put all things back together. And I will do so by giving you a child. And he will come and he will set things anew. And we get to this wonderful part in Isaiah 9, 6. It will say, for to us a child is born and a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, one of the things that is so important about that and what we're going to discover in the word shalom in a minute is that there is great breadth and depth to that word. And so the first thing that I want you to see is, is that as the Prince of Peace, Jesus brings about a peace in our lives, but also a peace in our souls. And that is so important for us to remember and recognize. 
Uh, let me just share this with you. The Hebrew word for peace or shalom means so much more just than the absence of conflict. Let me stop there. How many of you are excited about peace in the world? How many of you want peace in the world? How many of you can't wait for peace in the world? What I'm going to tell you is, and we will see peace, but we won't see peace in this world. However, Christ will bring peace, and that is one aspect of shalom. But also, what I want to tell you is this. It speaks, the word shalom, speaks of a sense of wholeness and completion. To enjoy shalom means to enjoy health, security, well-being, and ultimately, prosperity. However, this prosperity or peace is not necessarily promised today. It is promised in a kingdom that is to come. That's what we look forward to. That's what we rest on, and that is what we wait for. Yet today, we can rest in this peace or shalom, knowing that we have been reconciled back to God. Where am I going with this? Friends, we have to remember that not only do we experience peace, rest, or comfort because of who God is, we have been brought to peace or rest or comfort by what Christ has done for us because we were once at war with God. Shalom has such a deeper meaning when we recognize that yes, Jesus exists to bring about peace to the world or peace to our hearts. But Christ's main, pers- uh, main reason as the Prince of Peace is to bring peace to our souls so that we might dwell with him in his eternal kingdom. The bringer of this shalom, this peace, is Jesus, who as the Prince of Peace dies on a cross to enable us to no longer be enemies with God. We read this by Paul in Romans 5, 10 through 11. And Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, ends our war with sin and lovingly brings us to salvation. And we see that in Romans 8, 7. I want to pause there for a minute. Because as great as Christ being the Prince of Peace is, in the sense that he will establish peace in his time and in his place, and there is coming a day when there will be no more war, no more hurt, or no more pain. The bigger aspect of this is for you and I to recognize that Christ, as the King of Kings, the Maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of Lords, was willing to go on a cross to die upon it, even though he was guilty of no sin, even though he did not deserve that punishment, even though he was whole and righteous and true, so that you and I, who are not whole, not righteous, not true, dead in our sin and dead in our transgressions, can have eternal life with him, to bring about peace to the war that rages within us between ourselves and God. The word shalom, when we look at it that way, has such a deep and rich meaning to our lives. 
The other thing that I want to share with you lovingly is this. Friends, what I want to tell you is that if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm simply going to say you are at war with God. The scriptures tell it, and they put it out plainly. You are at war with God. But the bringer of that peace, the one who brings that shalom, is the Tsar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And so what I want to tell you is, is perhaps you're here this morning, maybe you're struggling with things, maybe you're angry at God, maybe you're angry at what's going on in your life, and you don't have peace in your soul. What I want to tell you is simply this, you will never have peace in your soul unless you turn to the one who is the Prince of Peace, who can bring your soul to peace by what he has done. Friends, as the Prince of Peace, Jesus brings about a peace in our lives, but he brings about a peace in our souls. What I can tell you is I have peace in my life because there is peace in my soul. I can't have peace in my life without having peace within my soul. And so the first thing that I urge you is is to have peace with your soul through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then as I go about my life, there is this all-encompassing peace amidst the challenges that are there, amidst the unknowns of my life, amidst the worries that I may have, amidst the challenges that may come, knowing that in the end, no matter what transpires, no matter what happens, I am his son, and I will uh, be with him in his kingdom forever. There's just this peace about me that I know that as I go day to day, God is working things out for his honor, his glory, his namesake, and I know that he will come again. And I know when he does, he will come as the king of kings, and he will establish an eternal peace like we've never experienced before. Now, the other things uh, that I want to share with you is this. Um, we all long for peace. We all want peace. We all strive for peace. To be honest with you, oftentimes what we see is we see even potential presidential candidates coming forward and saying, that they want to establish certain peace treaties among other nations. But what I want to tell you is this, the only one who will bring about a universal peace is Jesus. And so remember, as the Prince of Peace, Christ's return as the King of Kings will bring about a universal peace. Stop there for a minute. Just just think about this for a minute. Can you imagine a day Right? Where you wake up and there is no concern whatsoever about what's going on in the world. There's no fear, there's no concern over school shootings, there's no worry about what's going on with the nations, there's no news talking about what's going on in the Ukraine and what's happening there, there's no news about Hamas and what's happening in Israel. There's no news about China moving forward and advancing and wanting to take Thailand and Taiwan. There's no concern. There's no need for military. There's no worry. There's no concern over national security. You wake up, for lack of a better word, 
and there's peace. There's peace externally, and there's peace internally because we are with Christ in his kingdom. Just pause there for a minute. Shalom. It's a beautiful word. And for someone to come forward, think about this. For someone to come forward and be ascribed the name Sar Shalom. Just, just, it is a beautiful thing. Because no ruler, no leader, no kingdom, no authority, no power, no entity, no plan can establish shalom at its core other than Jesus Christ, no matter how hard they try. In the world that we live, any entity that wants to establish peace must do so out of oppressing somebody else. And that is not peace. The only one who can bring shalom is our Savior Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Uh, J.C. Ryle, um, basically in a Bible con uh, commentary, says uh, this simple quote, but it's very profound. He says, there will be no universal peace until the Prince of Peace appears. And when we look at that, it's kind of concerning, isn't it? Wait, wait, you mean that no matter what we do, no matter what happens in our world today, no matter what ruler comes, no matter what peace treaty might be signed, no matter what nation sort of begins to remove the conflict is there and maybe establish some aspect of, of peace, you're telling me that there's not going to be any universal peace until the Prince of Peace appears? Absolutely. Because there is only one who can be ascribed that title. Jesus, our Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. But here's what's interesting. There's this, this little statement in Isaiah 37, 17. Okay? And it talks about the joy of righteousness and the fruit of righteousness. Statement is this. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. Just, just pause there for a minute. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The fruit of Christ and those who are his and the righteousness that Christ brings. What we will enjoy, what we will share, the fruit that we will eat will be peace because of God's righteousness. Now here's what I'm telling you. Remember how earlier I said, what a day it will be when the Prince of Peace appears? Now, the effect, notice this, the effect of the righteousness. So, the righteousness brings about a fruit of peace. The effect of the righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. A still, a calm, and a confidence in the one who is the Prince of Peace. That's who we worship. That's who we serve. That's who brings glory to our lives. This morning we've taken a look at two names. We've talked about Jesus being the King of Kings, and we've also talked about 
Christ being the Prince of Peace. And what's interesting is, is that both of these names can be wholly and uniquely ascribed to Jesus. They're, they're not separate. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And when we begin to encapsulate all of the names of Christ that we will examine in this series, but then even the, the other names of Christ that we won't have time to go into, remember that all of those are who Christ is. And so begin to think about this. Last week we talked about Christ being a child. We talked about him being the bread of life. We've talked now about him being the king of kings. And we're talking about him being the prince of peace. All of these names encapsulate who Jesus is. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you in is this. When someone comes up and says, who is this Jesus that you worship? Yes, he is our savior. And I'm not belittling that at all. Yes, he has died for our sins. Yes, he is Lord. But friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, you have so much more that you can tell people. You can tell people, I worship a God who is a child born in meekness. I worship someone who is the bread of life, the one who brings about life to me daily. I worship someone who is the king of kings, and I worship someone who is the prince of peace. And by the way, we can worship someone who is all of the other names that we will discover as we travel down this journey, learning and growing in the aspect of who is this one that they call Jesus. The take-home truth today is simply this. As the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, remember and recognize that our Savior will bring about an eternal kingdom and a universal peace in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that day is coming and that day is promised. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for you and we thank you for uh, these titles that have been given to Jesus. Father, we thank you particularly that uh, when we want to know more about you, when we want to discover more about you, you have given us ideas of who you are. You've given us names that you possess so that we can truly understand the God whom we worship. Father, thank you that they're not distant. Thank you that they're not undiscoverable. But more importantly, thank you that the names that you give, you encompass and you embody, you hold and they are true. Lord, these aren't just nicknames. They're not just sort of flippantly uh, chosen words to try to uh, just fill in the blanks of, of a passage on a page. But rather, they're names given so that your creation can really encompass and embody who you are. They take you from someone who is being unknown to someone who can be wholly known through the scriptures. And Lord, we're grateful for that. Father, lastly, as we go about today, uh, as we just take moments uh, throughout the day, may we remember that we worship the King of Kings. May we remember that we can come to you in confidence. And Father, may we remember as the world spins and is sort of thrown out of control, that should be no concern to you, and it is no concern to us, because you are the one who holds all things in your hand. And a day is coming where you, as the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, will establish a peace throughout eternity in your kingdom. And what a day that will be. We thank you. We love you. 
We praise you. We pray and we ask all of these things in your name. And we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.